As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome to the Thursday edition of Football and Grits the Athletics SEC Football Podcast. Once again, I am your host, David Ubbin. I am joined by my co-host, as always on Thursdays, the Athletics College Football Editor, Mitch Light. Today we have a guest, Seth Emerson. He covers Georgia for us. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll be running across Seth this weekend. We're going to talk Georgia-Tennessee. You know, Seth, on, on the Tennessee end, this is the biggest game of the Jeremy Pruitt era. Uh, they've kind of been building, kind of been building... It's not a lot to lose in this game, a lot to gain, but this is the biggest game that Jeremy Pruitt has coached in, wearing a power tee. I'm told Georgia has played some bigger games. It feels a little lopsided. How does Georgia view this game uh, with Tennessee coming to town? You know, David, I, I, I was asked when I went on the Feinbaum show. I'm allowed to mention that, right, when I go on other shows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, producer used to work for him. So, uh about whether Georgia was looking past Tennessee to Alabama. And honestly, the question threw me off because I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They have Alabama next week. No, they're worried about Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's 2-0. and 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 look, I'm a, I'm a hard-bitten writer. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't buy in the one week at a time, one game at a time, narrative, BS, coach speak, etc. But in this case... Look, you know, I mean, Tennessee's 2-0. and has looked pretty solid doing it. And I think there's a respect factor for Jeremy Pruitt. Like, maybe a grudging respect, but number one, people here know him from his two years as Georgia's defensive coordinator, and he did a good job with that defense. And they know that he was Alabama's defensive coordinator after that and beat them in the national championship. And they know that he's recruited pretty well. So they expect to win, but... I don't know that people are going around like expecting this to be a blowout um, or just assuming it's a win. I, I think there's a respect for for Pruitt mm-hmm. that's there. Well, again, welcome to the Thursday edition of Football and Grits. This is our third week of the show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for subscribing, for uh, for building this show up. We appreciate every one of you guys. Leave us a review. Leave us a five-star rating. Tell a friend. It helps the show. We've got uh, another full week of content coming uh, on the site, on the podcast. You can come back and, and hear some picks uh, on Friday's show. 
And of course, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you should change that. Subscribe at theathletic.com backslash grits. If you go do that, you can read Seth and I's story this week on the other big storyline of Tennessee's trip down to Georgia, and that is Cade May's return to Georgia. Uh, A contentious eight months, Seth, would you say? Uh, I think that that story was was interesting to work on, um, looking at, at just sort of all that has happened over the last five years of that saga. And I think, you know, everybody's sort of, playing it a little cool, but I, I, I think there's going to be some juice. Uh, I, I would like to be uh, an on-field microphone for, for this game on Saturday because I imagine you might pick up some some very interesting uh, audio. Yeah, I mean, number one, Georgia players are saying the right things that they still love Cade Mays as a teammate and, you know, basically presenting it as he made a business decision. And, and I think that's partially true. I, don't, I, I never heard that he was a problem in the locker room. I think he you know, maybe was kind of a quieter kid, but people liked him. And look, they all make business decisions these days. And Cade himself hasn't really, like, thrown any bombs, you know? I mean, the toxic environment thing was from his lawyer. Um, you know, and Tom Mars, a different lawyer for a time period, was, was pushing stuff too. Pruitt hasn't even really like said anything incendiary. I think he and Kirby still get along pretty well. But look, he still did leave. And I, I think that, yeah, and there, anything you can use for motivation. And this is a Georgia program that they will use stuff for motivation. They will, they will take, I've seen them in the last couple of years, take a quote from an upcoming opponent totally out of context and use it as motivation. So they will definitely use this. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be chop-blocking Cade or anything. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're going to want to win the game and win it handily. Mm-hmm. Mitch, what was your biggest takeaway from, from kind of both that story and this, this whole saga uh, the, between Tennessee and Georgia over the last uh, little less than a year? Yeah, good good transition there, Dave, because <laughs> I was going to throw this out to you guys, actually. You know, I've been watching SEC football for, you know, I'll show my age, about 25 years here, and maybe a little bit longer, actually. And I'm trying to think of a, a more high-profile guy who has switched teams in the, you know, in the same division, two teams that play each other. And obviously, Tennessee has an offensive lineman who came from Alabama, but not as high-profile of a story. I can't think – this is just bizarre that you had one, a guy starting – especially in college football where up until now you pretty much had to sit out every year. You had a guy starting, five-star recruit on an offensive line for one team, and the next year he's starting for one of their biggest rivals. So it's, it's, it's great drama. It is. And I think, too, you know, the one thing I've heard about this is, oh, so we want free agency in, in college sports. Uh, sure, that'd be fine. <laughs> like, I think it's, you know, you're not going to pay the players. You're going to, you know, limit them, at least for now. I think that's, this will change in the next year. Limit them from monetizing their name, image, and likeness. And you're going to also basically give them a one-year non-compete uh, clause in a contract that they never signed. It's it's ridiculous. And I think people are like, well, coaches are going to have to re-recruit their rosters every year. Well, they're getting paid 4 or $5 million. You know, a lot of them are. They're big boys. Well, they're, and, they're and I think okay. I think David, not to interrupt, but I did interrupt. Um, <laughs> the look, this Cade Mays drama, I think, makes the argument for what they're about to do, which is to give everyone a one-time exemption to transfer without mm-hmm. penalty, because number one, all the hoops that were required. 
to do this. Like, if you'll never be able to tell me that Kevin Mays filing that lawsuit over an incident that happened two years ago in mid-December before his son transferred was not related to trying to get the exemption, okay? I'm not, David, I'm not putting it on you to agree with my theory on that and the theory <laughs> in Georgia land about that, but... Well, even Jeremy Pruitt threw it out there. Yeah. I think that's the, I mean, even if he's putting it on the record, I think he feels yeah. the same way. So they, essentially, this happened to, you know, all the all this drama could be removed. You don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to conjure up these yeah. reasons and excuses to get a, a, a waiver to play right away. You just are able to do it. But also what it shows is that it can happen and the world's not going to end. Now, if everybody's doing it, that's one thing. But, like, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't think that every, your, your entire team is going to be transferring and, and teams are going to be jumping around every year. It just it doesn't yeah. work that way. I think as you and I staked out in that story Wednesday morning, David, there was a lot going on with Cade Mays that pushed him out, like his younger brother going to Tennessee – his position coach leaving at Georgia, Sam Pittman, his best friend on the team, Isaiah Wilson, turning pro, um, and then the thing with his dad, obviously. There, there were a lot of things, and this doesn't always happen. Like, And if kids are going to transfer because of playing time, then I, honestly, I, it's the marketplace at work. You know, Go mm-hmm. find a place you mm-hmm. can play. I mean, that's why they're in college football. Hey, David, this story actually prompted a feature we did in my, my previous life at Athlon Sports because I was just fascinated that Cade Mays, a local kid from Knoxville, dad played at Tennessee, would, would sign at Georgia. So that's a great story. So we did a feature on high-profile recruits who kind of snub dad's alma mater to sign with a rival. And, and uh, this, you know, he doesn't play for Texas, but Casey Thompson signed as a, a quarterback from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. His dad, Charles Thompson, played Oklahoma, had an Oklahoma offer. And one thing that just sort of a tangent to this, I was fortunate enough to interview Barry Sanders at an event years ago, and he told me, and I don't know if this was hyperbole, but he looked at me and said his dad was such an Oklahoma fan that he sat in the stands when Barry Sanders was playing for Oklahoma State and cheered for Oklahoma. (laughs) Now... I've got kids who play sports. I mean, we've all been in that situation. I mean, can you imagine rooting against your own son? So I don't know if that's uh, how much truth is in that story, but Barry Sanders claims it's true. So uh, imagine, imagine that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Which brings us to the actual game here. Uh, a, lot on the, a lot on the line here. Um, Mitch, what do you make? One thing, looking at the stats, this has the potential based on the way these teams have played so far, you know, and, and people have talked about it this so far this year, and kind of an old school SEC matchup. Georgia is second in the league with 87 rushing attempts. Tennessee is third at 84. Uh, so they're both running the ball well. But I wanted to ask Seth about Kyrus Jackson, wide receiver. And, you know, that was kind of the storyline last year. Who's going to emerge as a playmaker at wide receiver? Jackson, now a third-year sophomore, not a big guy, six feet, 15 catches for 209 yards, only five catches last year. Seth, did you see this coming? Did Georgia see this coming out of him? 
Yes, not maybe not like in the Auburn game that he would catch whatever he did. Like he'd have this like humongous eye popping stats. But I, I suspect by the end of the season he'll have the stats that like we expected. So George Pickens is their number one, and he's like you know he's the best receiver the program has had since AJ Green, and he's he looks plays a lot like AJ Green. They needed some other guys to take attention off of Pickens. And I thought Kiaris Jackson, potentially Demetrius Robertson, and some of these other uh, young receivers they have would do that. They also have this tight end, Darnell Washington from Las Vegas, who's like just man-child. He's like 6'7", 240. He just looks like he doesn't belong out there um, in a good way. And uh, they, they, they have kind of flipped it, where last year receiver was their biggest weakness, and I think receiver slash tight end is their biggest strength right now. Um, while they're still figuring out everything else, including quarterback, which maybe they've figured out, maybe they haven't. Yeah, you know, this week Jeremy Pruitt said that that, uh, Georgia has no weaknesses. He said that multiple times. Seth, you uh, don't have a vested interest in, uh, in, uh, you know, complimenting Georgia this week. (laughs) Accurate or lip service? Uh, lip service. I mean, they definitely have weaknesses. Um, not on defense. Their defense is, is without weaknesses. Um, posted a story Thursday morning about how this defense came together and how deep and talented they are. Uh, they're good against the run. They're good against the pass. Good pass rush. Good pass coverage, etc. cetera. Uh, but look, in this day and age, you're still, with as good a defense as Georgia has, which showed last year when they played LSU, you're still going to give up points. They're going to give up points to Alabama. They're going to give up points to Florida. Tennessee, I don't know. Um, we've got to see what Guarantano is going to be able to do. Remember, he didn't really play much against Georgia last year. They went with Brian Maurer and it did not work. Um, but on offense, is Stetson Bennett the answer at quarterback? I don't know that he isn't. I don't know that he is yet. we we got to see a little bit longer you know, sample size here. Um, I think receivers are strength. I think the O-line and the running game – still have some questions they looked questionable enough against arkansas that you have to say as good as they looked against auburn doesn't automatically mean that that's them you know like did did they just need that week one to week two jump or is is what we saw at arkansas gonna rear its ugly head again at some point this season so um they you know look potentially they don't have weaknesses Potentially, they've got a lot of the same formula as the 2017 team, but um, you know you can't sit here right now and say that they're infallible and that there's nowhere you can attack them. Um, there, there is, especially on offense. Percent chance we see JT Daniels is like a five percent, ten percent. I mean, is it, you know, I, look, Stetson Bennett's the starter. Everything I've heard is that um, Dwan Mathis continues to get most of the second-team reps and, and probably some first-team reps. Um, maybe put him in there as a change of pace. But I think that was the plan against Auburn, frankly. Um, in practice, in, in warm-ups before the game, Dwan Mathis was getting some work with the first-team centers. And so I think they were ready to put him in there to like as a, as a change of pace, maybe for a drive or, or whatever. Um, but they they didn't need to because Stetson Bennett was lighting it up and the offense was going so well with him. Um, I think they'll have that ready. I, I've heard that JT Daniels continues to get kind of third-team reps and is, is just not comfortable with the knee. Um, he's, it's, 
you got to remember he he had a cleanup procedure for this knee that he had the surgery in September of last year. He had a cleanup procedure in January. The pandemic hits, and so there's a shutdown. So honestly, I don't know what rehab process he was doing at USC, but you got to figure that was interrupted. He transfers to Georgia in June. And so he comes here, and so he he's kind of, he's had kind of a stop and start rehab process that I, I think has made it. I think we see now it was premature to say he'll be ready to go, he'll be fine. Um, I I just I don't know that he's a hundred percent yet. Guys, I think nationally, when people look at Georgia or even the SEC, I think we're just dismissing that when we think about JT Daniels. We're just okay. He transferred in, five star quarterback. Was starting USC, got hurt, lost his job. Still a great player. Okay, he's going to be ready to go. I mean, there are no FCS games. There are no G5 games for him to get comfortable. Look at the schedule. Are you going to put him in for the first time against what Tennessee did to Missouri or against Alabama? It's and I don't think you two have played quarterback at the you know Division One level. I sure haven't. I can't imagine that your first snaps are coming against live SEC defenses. So this is this is going to be a process. It's another reason I think that in Kirby Smart has kind of hinted this that they miscalculated by starting Tuan Mathis in the opener. Uh, you know, he was a redshirt freshman, so you're giving him his first act active college snaps, and and right before a stretch where you're going to, you, you, like you said, there's no Austin P, there's no Louisiana Lafayette to give a redshirt freshman, or a JT Daniels coming back from knee surgery time. The plan had been to start Jamie Newman, who may have been new to Georgia, but started at Wake Forest the last year and a half. He's seen live bullets at, at you know in the ACC. So when, when it actually came time, it was like, oh, wait, we need to roll with the guy who actually has some experience. Like Stetson Bennett, you know, he only got in for one play and he threw one pass in the SEC championship last year when from like, I don't even remember what it was. Like, I think he took a hard hit, went to the sideline, came right back. But he was getting the number two reps all year. He he played a full season at junior college in 2018. Um, they, they're going with right now with their most experienced guy because they're in a stretch where they need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... No weaknesses, we'll see. Um, but when you have really good players on both sides of the line, that gives you a lot of leeway, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that's where Georgia wins this ball game, even without Cade Mays. They, yeah. Yes. Hey, David, real real quick, we need to get this approved. But you know, maybe we can name our the Thursday edition of this pod. No weaknesses. <laughs> I, think, I like you know, it. You got football like and grits. It. Thursday, no weaknesses. So maybe others <laughs> think there's weaknesses, but so far I haven't been able to find any. Well, I was going to say, if you're going to have me on on Thursdays, then I'm, I'm really not sure the title fits. <laughs> well, Seth, thank you for joining us, giving us a little bit of uh, UGA perspective. It's going to be a fun game. Looking forward to seeing you this weekend, seeing uh, a big game. This is the, the biggest game that, I, that I've covered at Tennessee, so uh, it should be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you too. Just stay six feet away. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Mitch, it's Thursday. You messed around with your calculator again. We need an update. Uh, you got some numbers for us again. Yeah, th- those trends that I threw out there, David, they weren't trends. They stopped. It was so sad. <laughs> In week one, we had three teams, total 600 yards of offense, Florida, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. I asked you, was that a trend? It wasn't a trend. We had no teams hit 600 yards. But last week, or week one, no teams rushed for 200 yards. Last week, Tennessee 
Kentucky, which goes for over 400 yards and somehow lost, and Georgia did it. So kind of a little return to normalcy in the SEC. I'm not saying that no one else is going to get 600 yards again this year, but I think this is this is just th- that's a lot of yards in one game. So it, it was it was kind of good to see a little more normalcy last week, I guess. I'll be interested to see when there's no you know FCS non-conference games, and of course there's 10 games. Where those averages are, I mean, how many thousand-yard rushers are there? How many thousand-yard receivers are there going to be? It's tough to really get that number, but I think even the number, you know, how many yards per game, I'll be interested to compare that this year to the rest of the year, uh, and I don't know that we're going to be racking up many numbers in uh, in Tennessee, Georgia this week. That game may be played in a closet, uh, a rainy closet, uh, all between the hashes. Uh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> I think so. Uh, you wanted to hit us with some Mike Leach talk. Yeah, you know, like we, we talk Mike Leach when he goes for 600 yards, and we talk Mike Leach when he loses games. Uh, he's just <laughs> he's going to be a topic of conversation, and that's why, as media members, we wanted him back in the SEC. So uh, Mississippi State's the only team in the country that doesn't have 100 yards rushing this year, no matter how many games. There's teams that have only played one game. So I looked this up. In the last 10 years, only five SEC teams – have averaged less than 100 yards in league games. Vanderbilt in 2014, Auburn in 2012, Kentucky and Tennessee in 2011, and Tennessee in 2010. Those five teams, when it combined 6-34 and 34 in the league, so it kind of tells you if you're not running the ball well, if you can't average 100 yards per game in the SEC, you're probably not going to do well. But Mike Leach, we know his system's different. And he did that at Washington State. He had some years mm-hmm. where they just they were abysmal running the ball because they didn't even try. So I'm going to look for can, can he do what he did? You know, LSU was kind of the an aberration, extremes on both ends with the passing and the rushing. But can he sustain success offensively, being so one sided? You know, history says he did it in the Pac-12. Will that translate to the SEC? We don't know. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think he'll be better than those teams. I think there's a difference in. You know, our team just can't run the ball, and then we get behind, and we're not running it anymore, and just, like, not wanting to run it. You know, we, we've talked about this in the past a little bit, but he just has, you know, he has a different philosophy than a lot of the other air raid guys. We've seen Dana Holgerson, Lincoln Riley, um, some of those guys recommit and say, no, we, we want to be more balanced. We want to have the same concepts. We want to stretch the field, but we want to mash you. Leach has just never really done that. I think there's been a season or two where he's done it a little bit more. But if he's got some receivers and he's got a quarterback that he trusts, you know, he'll throw it 60 times a game without without any real conscience about, oh, we need to run the ball. And, uh, you know, it has worked. I think there's going to be teams, maybe a few more teams where it doesn't work. But it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, I think people forget – you know, how much success that they had at Kentucky running this same system, you know, what, 20, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Uh, and we'll see. I think it's, uh, you know, uh, it, the, the, the league has changed a lot since then. I think defensive coordinators are smarter. They've seen more of these concepts. Um, he's going to have to do some adjustment. But there's something to be said for simplicity and space. And those are the two things that, that – that uh, Mike Leach has always done well and is going to continue to do well at, at Mississippi State. And, and you've heard a lot of coaches talk about this, not just Leach, that how the, the, their swing passes and their passes to the running backs are just an extension of the running game. And in Kentucky, mm-hmm. how many how many times, I think it was Craig Yeast, how many times would he get that little touch pass from, from Tim Couch or somewhere where they threw the ball forward like one foot and it counted as a pass, even though it was really a handoff. Here's two just fascinating numbers, too, for you before we move on from Leach. His first Washington State team, 
2012, rushed for a total of 163 yards in nine league games <laughs> for the season. I love it. They went one and eight that year. So he did have one year where I think they averaged about 150 yards. But imagine that. hundred. That's that's a half for some good teams, 163 yards for the season. So I think you made the good point. It's not that he doesn't. He just he just goes about it differently. He doesn't. It's not like he doesn't like mm-hmm. the running game. He just says we don't need to do that to be productive. Mm-hmm. And he's got a good back in Kylan Hill yes. that can make that work. And uh, and, and he'll done well. It, interesting. One more thing. I know I said we're going to move on. Hill has said all the right things, and he was on social media after you know before the game and after the game. This offense is perfect for me. This is great. I'm curious what happens midseason if they're three and two or they're not. Things aren't going as well. And he's not getting the ball as much. He's averaging, you know, four or five carries a game, and he's not catching it as much. He's still going to be that uh, uh, as big of a proponent of this offense. Angle routes and wheel routes. Find a way. Find yep, a way. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening. You can hear uh, tomorrow our uh, pick segment against the spread. John Hayes will be back with T Bob A Bear. Uh, he's on our LSU podcast. Should be a lot of fun. If you know T-Bob, you know that's going to be a must-listen. So thank you guys for listening. Again, subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Thanks to Seth Emerson for coming by the show. Mitch, my co-host, appreciate it. Every Thursday you can find us here. Come back, listen to Friday's Pick Show. And as for me, you can hear me again with Andy Staples on Monday. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. And, of course, we'll have that that upset pick that we uh, we may or may not have, have identified on Wednesday. We'll be talking about on Monday, too. So see you then.